in my life, and this was it, and I could only do this, it would be this, what I'm going to talk to you about today. Uh, Because I want to talk to you about a love story that, as we read it, you're going to have a hard time buying because we all have a hard time believing that this love story is true and it has anything to do with us, okay? Now, when you hear it, when I start reading the passage, I just encourage you, you've read this passage, you've heard this, because at least once a year, usually about once a year, I use this text, because I think it's, it's one of the most well-known texts in the Bible, but it's also really a powerful story that Jesus told. But it's also a story that's really hard for people to buy. We hear this and go, yeah, but. And, and I want to ask you to, if you have that... I knew that was going to do that. If you have that yeah, but sort of thought that goes through your head when we read this passage and you think about how it might apply to you, just ask you to suspend it and try to listen. Okay, just try to listen. So uh, in Luke chapter 15, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to start reading in verse 11. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible on the chair seat, under the chair seats in front of you, there's a Bible. And it's the famous uh, parable that Jesus told of the prodigal. So it starts off, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So his father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Excuse me. He hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, this is a simple story. It has a really simple point, and it's the point that we have a hard time buying. The story's familiar. One son just gets fed up with life in his dad's house, no matter how good it is. He demands his inheritance, splits, and goes and just wrecks his life. And while he's in this far-off country, as the parable goes, he, he exhausts everything that he had inherited, and he has to become... Uh, a day laborer, essentially. And I don't know if you guys, I used to work construction back in, in high school and in college. And there were uh, jobs that you would, you would hire onto a crew. And then there were times where you would go and you would stand someplace. And people who need spot labor would come and hire you. And you'd get paid at the end of the day. They'd just pay you some cash. If Sometimes they didn't pay you cash. And if you were an immigrant, like today, because there's, there's been immigrants in our church uh, from Africa who were illegal immigrants. And... I remember Ola, when he first came to our country, if you guys remember Ola Lay, Ola said that he used to work, and sometimes the boss would pay him, sometimes he wouldn't. And when he would say, you know, I worked hard for you, he'd say, call immigration and complain to them. Boss knew he didn't have any recourse, right? Ola was an illegal immigrant. If he told anybody about it, he's going back to Nigeria. Well, he eventually became a naturalized citizen and that was a heartbreaking part of his life. That's what this guy went through. And nobody cared about him, right? So he had a home where he was loved and cared for and provided. And now, through his own foolish choices, his life is just a wreck. And he just comes to his senses and says, I'm going home. Uh, even my father's hired, because he compared the way he saw his father treat the hired day laborers and the way he was treating and go, being treated and saying, Hey, I don't, I don't deserve to be, you know, a part of my dad's family anymore. I've wrecked my life. I've ruined his reputation. I've shamed my father publicly. I've impacted a lot of people. I'll just go back and work for him. That's better than what I have here. So he's going back a long way. His father sees him. You know, there's this wonderful reunion, this wonderful welcome. And his dad, everybody who had read this story or heard this story when Jesus told it, when the father ran to his son and hugged him, everyone would have gone, because <gasps> there wasn't any fathers at that time who would have done that. Nothing this father did that we all feel so, oh, that's such a wonderful story. You know, the dad showed his love for him. Back then, they had a tradition. If something like this happened, it would have ruined so many lives because the father would have, the father didn't have cash in the bank somewhere when he took part of his estate and gave it to his son he would have had to liquidate assets people would have lost their jobs it would have affected their local village everybody would have been affected by this son's decision which goes to say something about the idea that 
we can just do what we want. We have the liberty to do whatever we want. It doesn't affect anybody in the privacy of our own home, bedroom, whatever it does. Our lives are deeply interconnected, even in ways that we can't see. So when a, when a son would come back like this, the people in the village would go out and meet the son, and they would take a piece of pottery, and they would shatter it at his feet, and they would say, go, you aren't welcome here. That's what would have happened. And so the father sees his son. He knows what's going to happen. He loves his son. He starts running, which men of his of stature would never do. A man who owned an estate, who was an elder in the city, who was respected, would never run in public, number one. He would never run to find his son, who was in this kind of a sad condition. But this father, he runs and he gets ahead of the crowd of people who are hidden for his son to reject him and to break the pottery and say, get out of here, never come back. And he throws his arms around him and he welcomes him and the son you know, starts saying, listen, I'm sorry. And the father just, stop. I think he put his, his hand on his lips and said, oop, because he didn't get to finish his little speech, if you notice. And the father says, quit, to his, ser- his servants are there. Bring out the best clothes. Whose clothes were those? The father's clothes. Bring, it, bring the family ring. Put it back on his finger, because he'd hocked everything. Put some sandals on his feet, because he was a slave, and slaves went barefoot. This son of mine is back, and I love him. We're going to celebrate. It's like the point of this parable is really simple. At the worst day of your life, you are more loved by God than you could ever imagine. Does that move you? I just want you to think for a second. Think of the worst day you've had in the last month when you were at your worst. Now, some of you are pretty good people. Some of you have to go a couple of months. But, I mean, you think of that moment when you said stuff that you really regret. You did things. Or you hid some things that you hope nobody will ever know. And you think about how you feel about yourself at that moment. You can put yourself in this son's place easily. What we believe when we're like that is... God's going to come up to us and he's going to take that piece of pottery and he's going to break it. And he's going to go, he's going to point, go back where you came from. That's how we feel inside. Everybody feels that way. Everybody does. But what this story tells us, and this is the heart of the gospel, this is the heart of the message of the Bible. God says, on your worst day, I love you more than you could ever imagine. And nothing will change that. Now, why? I I, I want to ask you a question. Because if that's true, why did these two sons stay outside the house? Why did one son run away? And why why did this other son, when his father wanted to come into the house and celebrate and and experience love and all the good things that, that can come with healthy family... Why did he stay outside? One son ran away. One son says, have you ever asked that question about this parable? Why are these guys, why were they so turned off to their dad? What was it? I think it's really simple. It's just, and their problem is our problem. Because this is true. This is true about each one of you. You are more loved by God on your worst day than you could ever imagine, than you've ever been loved in your life, than you've ever been dreamed of being loved. 
They believed a lie. Each of them believed a different kind of lie. And that lie that they believed was what kept them from experiencing the father's love richly. It's the younger son. We see the first lie with the younger son. He rehearses it in his head. And he says, I don't deserve to be loved. Half people believe that lie. Sometimes all of us believe that lie. The other son, out of his mouth came the other lie. I need to earn love. I need to work hard to be loved. I need to measure up to be loved. So one son, the prodigal, we call the, 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 the son who, who messed his life up and, and lived in this you know, sort of crazy way. He didn't, he didn't believe deep inside that he deserved to be loved. And his brother, who was the good brother, the older brother, he believed his whole life that the only reason the father loved him was because he slaved for his father. I've always done the right thing. Why did you always do the right thing? Because he felt obligated. He felt like the father's not going to love me if I don't always do the right thing. And the other son had some deep flaw in him where he felt like he was just unworthy of being loved. And so a lot of times when, when you feel unworthy of being loved, you decide, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get what I want, so I might as well get what I can. And those are the two paths that people choose. Now, sometimes we kind of go back and forth between them. But we tend to choose one of those paths and sort of call it our own. And yet, both those paths take us away from love. They keep us out of where love is. Because in this story, it's the Father's house where this amazing love is. Because wherever the Father went, there was this love. So the, the heart of this story, it's where the love story is. Is These two sons were trapped by the lies that they believed. And they were so powerful that nothing could shake the power of those lies in their lives. Unless something more powerful came and broke into it and exposed the lie and challenged it. And, and this is the thing. You're sitting here, probably every one of you, and you heard me just say that simple point. On your worst day, you're more loved by God than you could ever imagine. And you go, oh, I believe that. And I think on a certain level you do, but you don't experience it. Because you still believe this lie at a deeper place. A place that maybe you haven't let that truth get into. You haven't let it challenge that lie. Because it's buried down real deep inside you. And your, your life up to this moment. It's woven in there. It's like what cancer does. When cancer gets into a body, it begins to spread into the body. And I've seen pictures of cancer surgeries where they have to cut away huge swaths of someone's uh, body to try to get all the cancer as it sent its tentacles out. Lies are like that. And you can't just deal with the lie on this level where you say, I'm just going to believe the truth. Because Jesus said, the truth doesn't set you free. Now you guys go, what? Oh, John. And, and John, the gospel of John, it says the truth will set you free. How many of you heard that? Just raise your hands, okay? Has the truth always set you free? 
Some of you are going, this is a trick question, right? <laughs> John, is this a, are we in a church? Is there, there's a cross here? You're, you're reading out the Bible and you say the truth doesn't set you free. It doesn't set you free. The truth doesn't set you free. Let me read that passage to you because a lot of us have misread it. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he uses a word there, to know, which is a word, it's not, it's not the Greek word for know like knowledge and facts. It's the Greek word to know knowledge and facts through a direct experience. So a lot of us have, we have the truth. It's just not real. And so we live by the lie deep inside us that I'm, I don't deserve to be loved on my worst day. Or, on my worst day, i got to work really hard to get out of the mess I've made so that I will be loved. And we live in one of those lies, or, we, or sometimes both of them, and we just bounce back and forth because we get ourselves into a mess, and then we think, I can get myself out of this mess. But we still keep believing those lies. And as long as you believe those lies, you don't surrender to the Father's embrace and his invitation of love to break into your life and to meet you at your worst place. Because when you believe one of those lies, you erect this wall of protection around your life that you can't even see. It's sort of like in science fiction, some force field that protects you. Because when you believe that lie, it cuts you off from life and from love. And so this father, he saw... What his sons both needed. Love was in his house. It was where he was. But neither of his sons wanted to go into his house. Remember, even the son that's coming back, he comes back and goes, Father, I'm going to live in the bunkhouse with the hired men. And then his other son, who's out working in the fields, there it is again, he hears the, the party going on and he won't go in the house. So what does the father do? The father goes out to where they are. This is the love story. Now, the problem with the power of lies is the knowledge of those lies alone and the knowledge of the truth won't free you from those lies. You have to experience it. You have to experience love in this very tangible, powerful way. And even then, it's, it doesn't completely just pull the lie out of your heart. It like pulls a chunk of it out. But it's, it, these lies are buried so deep in our lives that we, we don't even realize how much they're affecting us. And so we have to experience the Father's love again and again and again and again at deeper and deeper levels. And our hearts become more and more free. Now, I don't think there's too many of you in this room that haven't experienced a father's love. But you don't realize many of you, and probably most of us, you still believe these two lies, one or the other, and sometimes both. And what this father did in the parables when he went out to both of his sons, he did something with both of them that was just perfectly designed to challenge the lie that they believed and to invite them into his love, his unconditional love. The problem is, both of them had, when they'd chosen those lies, those lies, this is the, this is the 
insidious kind of thing about these lies is these lies turn us into people that we can't become free from. The older brother, it turned him into this judgmental, I'm better than my brother and other people kind of a guy who didn't know how to receive love because he was so fixated on trying to earn love. He couldn't be vulnerable. He couldn't let his guard down. And his other brother kind of got through that to a certain degree because he came back towards his father. I mean, just think about what he must have looked like. Probably had some really cool clothes on that had long ago become from feeding pigs and the kind of life he lived, tattered and worn. And, you know, imagine that you got a, uh, you got a really, really nice suit on. And because you've been feeding pigs and you've been living, you know, with uh, no covering, you've been huddled under a tree or in a barn somewhere, you know, your designer suit is just tattered and worn. And it, it's like a mockery. So wearing it mocks you, but that's all you have. And a lot of times we carry things around in our lives that are a constant reminder of the stupid choices that we've made when we're running from love and we look for love in all the wrong places and we carry these things around inside us and outside us and in our life and they mock us and they just reinforce you don't deserve to be loved. Look at what you've done. Look at the mess that you've made. And so the son who was self-righteous was never going to stop being self-righteous. The son who had lived just wild party life was never going to be free of that unless some love outside of them broke into their lives. And so here comes the father. This is the love story. This is what we all need. It's what you need. You're sitting here. It's what you need more than you need anything else. You need this like the next breath that you're taking. It's that fundamentally important to our lives. So if on the worst day of your life God loves you and you want to begin to experience that love because you think today isn't the worst day or this week hasn't been the worst week or this month or this year, there's some stuff in there that I'd really like to be able to put behind me. You have to learn from what the younger son did. The younger son modeled something for us that, that we have to imitate if we want to ever break free of these lies and we ever want to be able to experience God's love that, that can change a life like it changed this young man's life. You have to reject the lie that you have, you have to identify it. But if you've heard it here today and realize, I've got that one, you're on your way to... to being able to be free of it. If you're sitting here today and you go, I believe somewhere deep inside me, I don't know why, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of being loved. That is hard for you to admit. That is a hard thing for you to admit. Because just to think about that, why would I think I'm not worthy? Because all the messages we hear around us are, are you are valuable, you are important. But we don't believe it deep down inside. Some part of us believes it, but this real deep part doesn't. And you can see it by the way that we hide. Someone told me recently they were, they were doing some counseling with someone. And somebody I respect, this person that told me. And they said that this young man 
uh, was talking to this woman, and she was, he was just sharing all this deep stuff. And as, she, as he kept talking to her, he just sort of kept opening up deeper and deeper parts of his heart and more and more embarrassing things and more and more and more and more embarrassing and painful things. To, the, to a certain point, she just said, wow, I so respect what you're doing. It must be, I know it's hard for you to do that. And God met this young guy in this powerful way because he allowed himself to become vulnerable and just open up and, and let God in to those areas that he tried to hide from himself and from everybody else. And here's the thing about that. The reason why he did this, because this woman that I know, she is as safe and loving and mature a person as I, I've ever known in my life. I don't know anybody else like her. And that's what draws that stuff out of you. That's what drew out from that young man the deepest things that he was afraid of even looking at himself. Those lies are painful to look at. If you have that lie in you, you have to realize there's a part of you that does not want to admit it. In a second, I'm just going to give us a second to be quiet and wait before the Lord and ask him, is God speaking to you about this? And then at that other lie, you may be a person who goes, I've always been the good person. I've always been the responsible person. I've always been the hardworking person. I've always been the person that stood up for, you know, doing the right thing. I've, I've had very few moments in my life where I've gone off the deep end. But you know there's a part of you that does that because you believe I have to be a good person for people to like me, for people to love me, for people to accept me. That deep inside you, there's that rule, that script, if you will. And that thing will run your life. Just like the other lie will run your life unless you reject it. And you go, God, I'm so sorry that I believed that lie. You don't have to know all the ins and outs of how it ever entered your life right now. But what that son did was he realized, and he didn't have it all together. That's why his father sort of let him rehearse part of his speech and then stopped him. Because we do have to acknowledge that we've made a mess of things. We do. When we return to the Father's house, when the Father runs out and embraces us, what we have to acknowledge is, God, I've made a mess of something. And I can't bear the burden of it anymore. I can't pay for it. I can't undo it. Rescue me. Well, when, when someone rescues you, someone else has to risk their life. Someone else has to pay the cost. And in that culture... For that father to run out in front of the village crowd who have the jar, the clay jar they're going to break and pronounce judgment and rejection on this man, he has to get out in front of them and then he has to take the son's shame and he has to wear it. He has to sacrifice his reputation. He already sacrificed part of his living and his assets and his estates for his son. He already sacrificed his relationship with his son because his son rejected him and didn't want to have anything to do with him. And so the shame of that that his son carried, all that was put on his father in this story. And his father willingly took all that. Someone, that's the love story that's hard for us to believe. 
Because everybody's had people in their lives who've loved them up to a certain point. And, and many times past everybody else, right? Might have been a mom, might have been a dad, might have been a sibling, might have been a spouse, a friend, whoever. You had somebody who really stuck in there. But you know, at certain points, everybody says, I've had enough. This father didn't know what the word enough meant. He was willing to lose everything in a culture. This is an, the, the, the first century Palestinian culture was an honor culture. Your honor was everything. If you lost your honor, you had no place. You were outside the community. This father said, I'm going to sacrifice everything I have because community is life. Because I so love, you're, my love for you is so great and you're so valuable that at your very worst, son, I love you and I'm going to give you everything I have. I want you to have life even if I lose it. And that's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus came and took the mess that we created. He bears it. And if we, if we will welcome him into our lives, it's through him that we experience this father's love that our hearts are longing for. It's, it's really that simple. And so we have to reject the lie. We have to return to the Father's house. And then we have to receive his love as a gift. And each of these three things require this vulnerability that's really hard to risk. It's really hard to risk being that vulnerable. I mean... This is a silly teenage example, but I remember the first time I wanted to call a girl on the phone. And back then we had these dial phones. I know a lot of you have never seen. Yeah, I I lived back when Alexander Graham Bell invented it. We had these dial tones. And you dial it, and it would go back. And you're holding the phone, and, the, and it, it's this black, ugly, heavy thing. You're holding it, and you're, you're dialing the numbers. And inside, you're so nervous. You know why you're nervous? Because what if you're rejected? That's what it was all about. I mean, I remember dialing girls that my friends said, they want you to ask them out on a date. And I'm dialing them, and it's like, I'm in Vietnam, you know, being chased by the Viet Cong trying to kill me. I'm just like full of anxiety. Because deep inside me, it required vulnerability. What if they say no? What if they go, John Lee, back. Yeah, this is just a prank. I wanted you to call me so I could break your heart. Boom. Now, fortunately, nobody ever did that. But I only made a couple of those calls. Because of the fear inside of being that vulnerable. And every one of us sitting here have that same fear. You laugh because you know what it feels like. The circ- my circumstance was a little different than yours, but everybody knows what it's like to be in this son's place. To do what the son did was a huge risk. He knew what this tradition was of breaking the pot. I think he was trying to get past the village. So he could get to his dad because he, he, he thought his dad was good-hearted enough to let him be one of the hired men. But his fathers had 
better plans for him than that. And he has better plans for you. But are you willing, are you willing to take a risk just for a moment here to say, okay, I'm going to let my guard down and I'm going to admit I believe one of these lies. I'm going to look at something in my life that I don't like to let anybody know that I really believe this. Because again, if you don't believe that, you're deserve, that you deserve to be loved, that makes you look bad. And it makes some people look at you and go, what's wrong with you? You, you really are a loser. Which reinforces the lie. And so we don't even look at it. But we live out of it. We live that lie. That script runs our lives. We settle for things. We're afraid of things. We get into things that are just degrading and ruinous. All because we believe that lie. Others of you, you believe the lie that you've got to earn God's love. If you don't straighten up and fly right, if you don't do the right thing, if you don't dot all your I's and cross all your T's morally and otherwise, you won't be loved. But the kingdom of God is not based on your performance. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus did. It's based on who God is. Because what we lose when we break the first commandment, when we have some other God before him, is we cut ourselves off from life. Because life comes from him. He's the source of life. But these lies really do a number on us. And so what I want to ask you for a second is, would you be willing today to reject one of those lies that you've believed? Maybe for a second we need to pray and just be quiet for a minute, and you just ask yourself, ask God, do I believe one of these lies, and which lie do I believe? Which lie has been running my life? And you know one of the ways you can tell if you believe both of them? It's a simple, it's not the only test. If you're the kind of person that, that goes to church for a while and something happens and you don't go for a long time, then you come back and you go for a while and then something happens and you, you, you just start, you feel bad about yourself and you, and you don't. You go away for a while. You're believing both those lies then. Because you, you go, I got to go to church or God won't love me. Now that's sometimes way deep inside. And you hear us talk about that and say, don't believe that. But still, it's at work inside you. It's still doing this insidious work. This is a love story. This gospel message that we have, if you've got the right end of it, it's a love story. And it's a love story that's hard to believe. It's only hard to believe because we believe one of those lies. Do you see that? That's the only reason why it's hard to believe. Because we believe either we're not worthy of being loved, or we have to work hard to be loved. And what I want to do is just take a minute. Uh, is that my phone right there? Thank you. That's Jay. And uh, I want to give you a second just to be quiet. Steve, I want to hook this up. I, want you, I just want you to close your eyes, and you just ask God those two questions. God, do I believe one of these lies? And I believe that's a rhetorical question, by the way, but I'm going to let you do it. Number two, which lie do I believe? So just close your eyes and be quiet for a second. So I, I think the Lord's probably spoken to you and you get a sense of this is the lie I believe. 
I want to play this song, and, and you can just sit here. If you know this song, you can sing along with it. You don't have to stand. You can stay seated. But I'd just like you to let the, the sense of at the heart of the love story is God's love for you. It's, it's the lover of our souls. It's, we, we experience his love through his son, Jesus. And that this song is just about who God is and what he does for us. And I want you to hear the welcome as they sing about, it's a love song about how good Jesus is and what he does for us. But as, as you hear it, as you listen to it, let the reality of who God is and what he wants to be to you just sink in. And then we'll pray it after this song finishes playing.
you know, the threshold to, to experience this kind of love that they're singing about, that, that you've experienced at different moments and that your heart longs to experience consistently. Because it's meant for us to, God's love is meant for be something that we experience consistently, just like breathing in and breathing out air. His love is, is that pervasive. It's that present. But just think of how little we really experience, how infrequent these moments of just feeling loved, period. Just being loved for who you are, especially at your worst moment, perhaps, or at a bad moment. But we've seen in this parable, it doesn't change God's love for you. Your worst moment doesn't change his love for you. The question is, will you be vulnerable to him and open your heart up to him and take the risk of just saying, yes, I want to live that way. I don't want to live bound by these lies. And we're going to be fighting the one or both of these lies for a long time. But there is breathing room that God offers us. There's space. There's love that's richer and deeper and more present than we know consistently right now. But we have to be reminded of this, and we have to stop and say, okay, I want to be vulnerable. Everything in me resists that. I just want to put on the false front that everything's okay. I want to put on the false front. I don't really believe that stuff. Other people do. They're messed up. I'm not. Because I don't want to think that about myself. It's too painful to even entertain that idea that, that I might be broken inside. But we all are. And we, we have to come to terms with that. That's why Jesus came for everybody. And just today, in, in the little race you're running, could you pause and just say, I want to be vulnerable to the Lord. And I want to, for this moment to become something that, that begins to guide my life, that this is how I live my life. I live my life fully embracing the gospel. Because let me tell you something. That young man, as he came back home, he didn't suddenly become this really responsible guy who never ever dreamed of a prostitute again. Never ever dreamed of a drunken party again. Never ever did anything wrong. I'm telling you, I think this guy was probably going to struggle for a while. But the father's love gave him something that would lay the foundation for him to become a different person. And I'm, don't hear me saying to you, God's going to love you right now richly, and then you've got to get it together. Or the love is it's conditional. It's not. It's given to you, period. You can go back and feed the hogs. You can go do those things, and you will... Cut yourself off from that love. You will chase after a love that can't satisfy you. But if you open yourself up and say, I want to live life on his terms. I want to be vulnerable. It's a, it's a, it's a, we, we do that in fits and starts. But if we go that way, we, it begins to be more consistent in our lives and more consistent and more consistent. So if, if you already did something within your own soul, the privacy and you know, the the sanctuary of your own soul, that you said to yourself, I believe one of those lies. I want to let go of it. I want to return to the Father's house, and I want to receive his love as a gift. 
that he'll give me something right now that, that, that I will experience his love in this moment in a way that will begin to satisfy me, It will begin to heal me, will begin to restore me, will begin to be like breath in my lungs. I want to ask you to just take that risk and do that today. Because there's no other way to get it. There isn't. And I, I really believe this, this little message is really simple, this love, this, about, this love story that you can't believe. It is a love story that's true. And, and there's been times in your life you've believed it. So if you want to go down that road of vulnerability again, and you want to try to stay on it with God's help, I just want you, if you've already sort of said that in your heart, I just want you to stand up wherever you are. Because we're not, we're family here. You know, I'm standing. I just want you to know, I'm standing because I want to do that. I'm trying to walk that out in my life. And I walk it out in fits and starts. If people that know me well know that that's me. But I like you just, if, if this is something that speaks to you, and you want to let go of the lie, and you want to return to the Father's house and receive his, his love as a gift, you want to open your heart up to experience it for a moment when I pray here, just to close. Just stand up where you are right now. And I'm going to pray for whoever's standing, for all of us, that, that God would just meet us that he would break the power of this lie in our life with his love. Because you may go away and say, oh, now that I know about that lie, I'll stop believing it. You won't. Not unless love touches you. So just put your hand over your heart. Father, thank you that Jesus, that you sent Jesus because of your great love for us and that Jesus was the father in this parable. And when he said, when he was asked, why do you hang around with tax collectors and sinners? He told this story. We thank you for the love that you have for us that goes beyond what we can even begin to grasp. But we desperately long for it. And we stand before you and we admit that we believe the lie, either the lie, Father, that we don't deserve your love, or that we have to work for your love. We have to earn it. Lord, those are terrible lies to believe, and they've, they've hurt us deeply, and we become people that are a terrible version of our true selves. And we thank you, Jesus, that you bore the burden of all that mess. And as we come to you, we give that mess to you, and we, we give our striving to you, and we give our chasing after empty dreams to you. And we want to be in the Father's house and we want to welcome your love right now. And here in this moment of vulnerability, as we risk people seeing what's really going on inside us, we just say we don't care. We care about what you think about us. Now, as you're standing here in Jesus' name, I bless you. May the Spirit the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father's love, the Spirit who came on Jesus and, and the Father said, this is my Son whom I'm loved, with whom I'm well pleased. May that Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, rest on you right now. And may His love begin to pour into that place where you don't feel like you're worthy. Let that love just begin to pour in there. I bless you with it right now. With the authority he's given me, 
to bless you and to release that love into your life. As you've responded to his word, I bless you. And I bless you if you believe you have to earn God's love, that you have to work hard to be accepted. I bless you to know that he loves and accepts you without any effort on your part. That as you welcome in vulnerability and weakness, Jesus, as you've welcomed him into your life, the Father's love is lavished on you now. It's being poured out on you, and he delights in you. He looks at you, and he smiles, and he's full of joy just looking at you and seeing you. And I bless you to know that. I bless you to wear that, that this morning you'll leave this place and that you'll wear that sense of the Father's love for you and delight in you just for who you are. Warts and all on your worst day. I bless you to know that and experience that. And I break the